The next is we should know that Allah is in control. Imam Ibn Ta'Allah in Al-Hikam, he says something so beautiful. He says, لا يكون تأخر عمل العطاء مع الإلحاء في الدعاء موجبا ليأسك. He says, do not let a delayed response in the giving, in the gift you're asking for, your dua. When you are doing that with incredible passion and there's a delayed response and you're making this consistent, passionate dua, but the response isn't there, he says, do not let that cause you to despair. Because he has guaranteed that he will answer you in the time he chose, not in the time you choose. In a way that he chose, not in the way you chose. And the time he chose, not the time you chose. But he guaranteed he will answer you in this life or the next. So alhamdulillah, those are some of the, uh, you know, etiquettes of dua. Let's just mention a few of the unwarranted controversies that again have been created by uh, unfortunately passionate people who are very sincere, but perhaps they are not uh, exposed to all of the kind of uh, research on dua. So one is raising the hands in dua. Find sometimes people telling people they shouldn't raise their hands and dua. This is a religious innovation. Uh, I have a long discussion about bid'ah. You can listen to it, I think, on my podcast or on YouTube. Um, but Imam Ibn Hajr al Haythami, he writes in Fatwa al Kubra raising the hands in dua is a sunnah in every supplication outside of the prayers. Whoever assumes that he, alayhi salatu salam, did not raise his hands in supplication except during the prayer for rain. That person is extremely negligent, sloppy, and irresponsible. SubhanAllah. Imam Ibn Hajj al-Haytani was a scholar of hadith. So he's talking about this from the perspective of all of the hadith narrations that he was aware of, which were immense. A second controversy that we need to be careful of is dua and congregation. And people tell people that making dua in congregation is a bid'ah. But here, the verse itself, right? If you look at this verse in Surah Al-Furqan, SubhanAllah, verse number uh, um, 65, it says very clearly in Arabic, they say. So they are saying it together. We find Sayyidina Musa and Sayyidina Harun, they made dua together. We find in Surah Taha and Surah Al-Qasas, we find uh, Surah Taha, and we find in Surah Baqarah, Ibrahim and his son, Ismail salam, they made dua together in the Quran. And it's impossible for us to believe that the prophets were doing bid'ah, or that the Quran would teach us a bid'ah. But this is actually rooted in a, a authentic hadith of our beloved Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, who says that Asma dua jawf al-layl wa idbar as-salawat al-maktuba? You know, this hadith of the Prophet that said the dua that is heard the most is the one made in the middle of the night and the one made after the obligatory prayers. 
the, the, the difference amongst the scholars is in the word idbar. Some of the scholars says that idbar means at the end of prayers, means after the tahiyat. So in the prayer before my salam, this is the end of prayer. Other scholars, they, show, they said, no, adbar means after the salam. So that's why you go to some masajid and people say, assalamu alaikum, assalamu alaikum. And then they start to make dua because of this hadith. This is not a bid'ah. This is a difference on the meaning of a sound narration. Bid'ah means there is no evidence. But here there's evidence. That's why Al-Hattab Al-Maliki, he said, وَلَا خِلَافَ فِي مَشْرُوعِيَّةِ الدُّعَاءِ خَلْفَ الصَّلَاةِ There's actually no difference about making dua uh, after prayers. What they differ over is what does after mean. And from the Salaf, you have both practices. And again, dua in congregation, perhaps the best evidence for it is if you go to the 40th chapter of the Qur'an, Verse 60, Your Lord says, call on me, all of you, plural, I will answer all of you. And Imam An-Nawi, in his famous book, Al-Adhkar, he has a chapter, Bab al-Dua'i al-Jaris fi jim'i li nafsihi wa man The section on du'as for someone who's sitting by themselves or sitting with others. This is another unwarranted controversy. And as we were talking earlier, as someone who embraced Islam in the United States, I have seen how these unwarranted controversies have destroyed convert communities. As our sister said, and it actually touched me and impacted me, I think it was Hawa who wrote, who said it, there are people that I embraced Islam with. We were brothers and sisters in dunya. And after Islam, we became enemies. How is that possible? SubhanAllah, we could agree on kufr, but we can't agree on haqq. That's a disaster. And again, I can't emphasize how oftentimes these issues are inflamed and amplified either by agents who are working to destabilize the Muslim world in the Muslim communities, in America also, or at the minimum, people who are passionate, but perhaps irresponsible. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he mentions that these are the people of dua. And what did they say? Rabbana, our Lord. Again, unity. The idea of being in a group, because we know that dua in congregation has a greater chance of being accepted. Because you never know who amongst us may be that righteous person, alhamdulillah, who engages in that dua, and that dua, alhamdulillah, has barakah, and is accepted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because of that person's hat, that person's heart. And what do they make dua for? Rabbana surif anna. The word sarf means to move. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when talking about winds that blow, he says, wa tasrifu riyah. In Surah Al-Baqarah, the winds, they're blowing. We have the science in Arabic language, tasrif al-af'al, right? That words change uh, the, 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 the structure of the word mu'min, amin, iman, that change is called tasrif. So, Rabba Nasrif, oh, our Lord, avert from us. Avert from us. Sarf 
anar, avert the hellfire from us. Something really beautiful here. These are people who have akhlaq. These are people who speak to people with a sense of dignity and refinement and respect, even when they're not agreeing with them. They're firm also. There are people who are sincere in their heart. These are people who pray at night, but still they worry about hellfire. And that's the sign of humility. So now we're adding some more qualities to our personality that we want to work on. We said, number one, not committing corruption in the world. Number two, having adab. Number three, sincerity. Number four, praying at night. Number five, dua. Number six, humility. Even though they're, subhanAllah, righteous people, salihin, they still worry that the hellfire is haqq. Prophet he used to cry when he would think about hell, even though he's ma'soom. Allah gave him maqam al-mahmuda, the greatest station, but still he feared the hellfire. And he used to cry for us out of fear for hell. We have a problem that theology in America now, as it becomes untethered from any sense of orthodoxy, we're talking about broader theology in this country, as it begins to capitulate to the currents of people instead of establishing anchors that people can protect themselves from those currents with, it becomes part of the currents. It has simply projected itself as a theology of hope. But Islam is very different. And Abu Hamad, rahimahullah, in his book, Manhaj al-Abidin, the same book we read every Tuesday night here with the ICNYU, alhamdulillah. In Manhaj al-Abidin, he talks about the fifth valley that a person is going to run into or sixth valley that the person is going to run into who's trying to live a fight, life of faith and devotion and that is balancing fear and hope has to be fear has to be hope both are needed that's why imam ibn qayyim he said that fear and hope are like two wings of a bird so I use the fear of God, the fear of hell, when I start to feel that I'm slipping. Um, it's fajr time and my eyes want to go back to sleep. And, you know, I'm lazy. I don't want to get, I don't want to do what I need to do. Let me remember Allah's punishment. If I'm despondent and defeated and broken, let me have hope in Allah. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. So some ulama, they said, have fear when you're young, have hope when you're old. That's why Sheikh Dardir he says, Sheikh Ahmad Dardir, he says, you know, that in certain moments in your life, let fear push you to be better. And at other moments of your life, let hope push you to be better. And we mentioned yesterday that Imam Al-Ghazali says that fear is good as long as it inspires you to responsibility. And hope is good as long as it inspires you to responsibility. Yeah, both. Not just one or the other. Subhanallah. So here they say, Oh, Allah, save us from the punishment of hell. Avert it from us. Because its punishment is everlasting. 
اي ان جهنم ساءت مستقرا ومقاما and indeed hellfire hell is the worst place of rest and the worst place to be established يعني الاقامه مكان الاقامه مقامه like we say مقام ابراهيم right the maqam of ibrahim is where we know that place is we don't want to be in the maqam of hell a'udhu billahi min ash-shaytan ar-rajim inshallah we're going to take a break for a moment we finish now the positive qualities those things that we want to adorn ourselves with and next we're going to talk about those things that we want to remove uh, from our lives you know we talk for for most of the trip and you know i was telling him i'm going to one conference and this and that and whatnot and he was telling me he worked in that country he was uh, uh, working in media for the bbc so you know we started talking and he, he was telling me about his life a little bit and you know his profession his career and then you know then i kept reading and he he did what he was doing and then we got to the airport then i was detained you know <laughs> which is normal for me i was detained in the airport uh, and interviewed uh, for some time and then i was let out so by the time i got out it was really late and i said to myself subhanallah you know i hope these guys are here and i remember i just took a small bag i put a lungi if anyone knows i put a lungi and a t-shirt in this bag and that was it it was a one or two day conference when i walked outside there was no one there then i said man i knew it man i knew these brothers were not going to show up man because it's too late <laughs> so i i i had no i had no money i had no idea what to do and i i began to sit on the bench in front of the airport and then suddenly the the guy he he drove by and he stuck his head out he said انت راح فين where are you going i said wallahi ma arafsh i don't know where i'm going <laughs> i have no idea where i'm going man he said what do you mean i said the people that were supposed to to meet me in the in the in the um in the what do you call it the the airport they didn't show up so subhanallah he he took me to his house and i remember man i was like freaking out you know like yo i'm staying at someone's house i don't know who they are like i could disappear you know not understanding brotherhood and sisterhood in islam well and then in the morning we woke up you know we prayed fajr we had full of course we had al-isa we had ayn al-katakid we had all the typical egyptian dishes and then as we were sitting he started crying well it's true and i said subhanallah akhi uh, why are you crying and he said my my grandfather he went to the azhar and when i saw you i remembered my grandfather and then he he actually took me to the conference but the point is the the generosity man that you will find amongst muslim brothers and sisters 
is a a really really incredible thing. Just last week in the Bronx, I got stuck in the Bronx. It's a long story. I was at an event, and as I was leaving, and I was like, I'm going to have to walk to the train station, which is not a big deal. It's far away, but I'm just going to walk. It's late. I walk to the subway. And as I was leaving, this brother pulls up in a van and he's like, where are you going? I said, I'm going to Harlem. He said, get in the van. <laughs> so I got in the van. This brother just came from Palestine in 2012. And we start talking. And I said, where are you going? He said, I'm not going anywhere. But I just want the Hassanat to give a fellow Muslim a ride. You know, that type of generosity is one of the things that we still we still have, alhamdulillah, and it is a, a incredibly transformative quality. So Allah subhanahu wa says, after a'udhu billahi minash shaitan rajeem, وَالَّذِينَ إِذَا أَنْفَقُوا Those who win, they spend. They're generous. لَمْ يُسْرِفُوا They don't waste. وَلَمْ يَقْتُرُوا And nor are they miserly. وَكَانَ بَيْنَ ذَلِكَ قَوَامًا they find a middle ground between that. We are a, a community of balance and everything. People believe Jesus is God. People reject Jesus. We're in the middle. We believe Jesus is a prophet. We're in the always in the middle. Always, subhanAllah. So between being a miser and be, be, between being wasteful, you find the Ummah of the Prophet Sallallahu That's why Allah Subh'anaHu Wa says, We have made you the balanced Ummah. And that verse is, MashaAllah, one, uh, one uh, 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 verse 143 in Surah Baqarah, which is 286 verses. So this verse is in the middle of Surah Baqarah that says we are, SubhanAllah, a moderate Ummah. Alhamdulillah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran, he warns us of being wasteful. Al-Israf, a tajawuz al-had, al-ladhi yaktadihi al-infaq, bihasabi hari al-munfiq, wa hari al-munfaq alayhi. What does it mean to, to, to be wasteful in giving? Is to give more than I can afford, or to give so much that I'm trying to show off, or to give so much that I neglect my circle of influence, my, my spouse, my children, my parents, those family members closest to me, they are the ones who have the most right to my sadaqah. So if I give so much charity that I'm no longer able to take care of myself or my family, you find this in Quran. This is a trick of shaitan because it will undermine the stability of the home. The other extreme, al-iqtar. Al-iqtar actually is hard to translate, but al-iqtar is actually best described in Surah Al-Ma'un. That when it is responsibility socially, a social contract, a social responsibility to look after the needs of the underserved. And I have the financial capacity to do that and I don't. And the reason I don't is that I'm not going to receive any accolades. This is al-iqtar. So, walam yaqturu, because the Arabs of Jahiliyyah, 
in the time of the Prophet وسلم, they, they refused often to give to those most in need, the masakin. The word masakin doesn't really translate as poor. Because the word sakin means to cut, to stop a knife, because a knife stops the movement of something. So poverty cuts metaphorically people. And we say this in English slang, I can't make no moves. It literally cuts my ability to move. That's the masakin, those that have been cut. Those that have been, they can't make moves. Those that are silent also, similar kind of word comes from this. So, so we are those who want to heal the global social and economic differences that we find cutting people and destroying their ability to move. That's how we frame poverty. SubhanAllah is very different. So he says, SubhanAllah, that they, they're not, you know, harshly negligent of those who need. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, أَرَأَيْتَ الَّذِي يُكَذِّبُ بِدِينَ فَذَارِكَ الَّذِي يَدْعُ الْيَتِينَ وَلَا يَحُضُّ عَلَى طَعَامِ الْمِسْكِينَ Allah mentions these people. This, 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 this chapter, Sultan Ma'un, was sent about Abu Jahl, who used to rebuke and be harsh to orphans and the underserved because he did not receive the accolades that he did for giving to the rich or, you know, expending a tremendous amount of money for pageantry. Allah says that the Ibad al-Rahman are those who are in the middle. Some people may mention the hadith of Sayyidina Abi Bakr radiallahu anhu, who he gave all his wealth. And Sayyidina Umar, who gave half his wealth but as the ulama noted, both of these situations are strictly for them, not for anyone else, based on other narrations of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Now Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala in the 67th and 69th verses, 67 through 69, 68 through 69, excuse me, he now moves to the second category of characteristics that we want to think about. The first part of this, these verses, starting at verse 61, identifies qualities that we want to acquire. What are, those, what are those qualities that we want to acquire as Muslims? Number one, tawheed. A, a, a functional tawheed, not simply a theoretical tawheed. How do, how do I allow tawheed to transform me? So I become the buruj, the qamar, or the shams on the earth. Just as subhanAllah, Allah mentioned the stars, the moon, and the sun. In the heavens, the believers who say La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah, based on the nur that they have in their hearts, will be either stars, moons, or suns. Subhanallah. We ask Allah Yazidna Nura. Then we talked about the qualities of Ibad Rahman, unity, the unity of the Muslims. Al-Wihda. Then we talked about not engaging in corruption in the earth. May Allah forgive us all. None of us are perfect. 
Then we talked about what? We talked about having good etiquettes and adab. Qalu salama. Then we talked about what? Night vigil, praying at night. Yabituna li rabbihim. Sincerely. Yabituna li ajalillah. That they engage in night vigil for Allah, not for anything else. Sujjadan wa qiyamah. And we said that Allah in Yamshuna ala al-ard, yabitun, he mentions the day and the night to show consistency also. So now seven qualities. Then we talked about dua and humility and now giving, being generous. Whatever I can give. Maybe I cannot give money, but I can volunteer my time. I remember, mashallah, there was a brother when I was in, in college who he would volunteer his time to teach young people to read the Quran. That's his infaq. Not everybody can give monetarily. And in fact, maybe what they give is worth more than money in the long run. I remember when I was in Boston, the students at MIT, mashallah, they volunteered to prepare high school students in the Muslim community for their college entrance exams and to help them prepare their papers. Any, any good that we do, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will amplify and magnify it for us. Allah. So in fact, doesn't just mean money. And now we move on to the second category. Those things that we say, we want to remove from our lives. And I'm the one who needs to hear this more than anyone else. So I'm not here to tell you I'm some kind of sagious, you know, guru. No, no, no. I'm with you guys. I'm, I'm simply a, a convert from Oklahoma yeah. We all have our challenges, alhamdulillah. That's why we need each other. We need each other. Because the, the, the tides of the dunya are no joke now. We have to anchor ourselves in faith and ummah and ibadah. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, You notice this word, you keep hearing, alladhina, 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 called al-mawsul. Ismu mawsul wa al mawsul. Why? The word alladhina, I mentioned it yesterday, it means something specific. And usul al-fiqh is from those words, which means khas. So as if to say, this is exclusively the qualities of the servants of the most merciful. Like if someone wants to be Abd al-Rahman, then they should focus on these qualities. The first quality is that they do not supplicate to anyone other than Allah. That they do not commit shirk. The second, they do not murder. The third, they don't fall into fornication. And whoever falls into this or throws themselves into this has thrown themselves into sin. May Allah make it, Ya Allah. And their punishment will be doubled on the day of judgment. And they will reside in this punishment forever. 
So here are four things we want to rid ourselves from. Number one, shirk. Alhamdulillah, anyone who says, La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah is not a mushrik. And we have to be very careful of accusing Muslims of shirk. This is from the qualities of Ahlul Bid'ah. Because the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he's not a liar. And the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he said in a sound hadith that shaitan has given up that any Muslim will ever commit shirk. This hadith is related by Imam Muslim, also by Imam Malik in the Muatta. Rasulullah. This is one of the greatest challenges. Now we're telling Muslims that they're mushrikeen. You never find the Sahaba, they went around accusing Muslims of shirk or said that they lost their Islam or that they're out of Islam. So this is talking about people here, this verse, those people who have not embraced faith. And they call on other gods or deities with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Believing that those deities have the qualities of Allah. And they're not engaged in murder. Or fornication. So these are three things we want to stay away from ever returning back to shirk. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us. But we have to be very careful of accusing Muslims of shirk. Especially you shouldn't take this from anyone on like social media or TikTok or one person is saying other people are mushrikeen. You should take this from a council of scholars. Protect yourself because you never know who that person may be. You never know the personal problems that they may have with others. So there has to be peer review. Accusations like this have to be subjected to peer review. Look at the hadith of Imam Abu Dawood. When Sayyidina uh, Umar ibn, uh, Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhuma, when he was sitting and he was old, and people ask him, make dua by something you love the most. He said, ya Muhammad, he, he, he isn't like a mistake. And he made dua, he said, oh Muhammad, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Did the people say to Abdullah ibn Umar, you're a mushrik? You're out of Islam? No, no, they understood he's a Muslim. Look in the seventh chapter of the Quran. Even those followers of Musa who said to Musa, make idols for us, like you make like they had idols. Did did Musa say to the people of his followers, You're out of Islam, even though they asked for idols? No, because he understood they had a trauma. They were carrying a psychological trauma. They had Stockholm syndrome. They loved their oppressors more than they loved the haq. He understood that this was a psychological issue. So he didn't say to them, you're disbelievers. He said, you're ignorant people. You need to learn what Sheikh Yusra was talking about earlier. Look at the depth now of, of the prophets. Not this simplicity stuff. This person's out of Islam. This person is deviant. You have to be careful of this stuff, man. Look at Imam al-Bukhari, radiallahu anhu, in his sahih. When the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi he was praying and someone put fire in front of him on accident. And he completed his prayer. Look at the chapter heading in Bukhari, in Sahih al-Jama'ah. The person who prays with fire inadvertently put in front of them, or prays with something in front of them, but you want they want Allah, Yuridullah. Look at Bukhari, look how he, his, his responsibility and his maturity and scholarship 
the person who prays and something is in front of them, but their niyyah is Allah. That means they're not mushrik. So we have to be very, very careful of accusing people of being mushrikeen. Especially if they say, La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. I remember one time I was in Masjid Sayyidina Hussein in Al Qahira. I used to read the Muatta to one Sheikh over there in the morning years ago. And one time we were sitting in Masjid Sayyidina Imam Hussein. And this guy came into the Masjid and he got to the door. There's, you know, the grave of, of Sayyidina Hussein is over there, according to those people. And that guy, he made sujood, man, in the doorway. He fell into sujood. At that time, I was sitting with one of the members of the leading scholars group in Egypt. He had a PhD in usul al-fiqh. He was head of Dara Ifta. He was a scholar of, of Islamic law. I don't agree with his politics. It wasn't uh, Adi Juma. It was someone else. Even though I don't agree with his politics, his knowledge, mashallah, of, of, of usul al-fiqh and fatwa, this person, was incredible. So that guy, he made sujood at the door. And our teacher, he stood up and he went to that man. That man was from the countryside. He was a simple person. So I thought, man, he's about to give it to this dude. He's about to ask his brother to take shahada again. Instead, he said to him, assalamu alaikum wa alaikum salam rahmatullah. They started talking in, you know, very Egyptian country kind of slang. And then he said to him, can I ask why you did that? Why did you make the sujood in the door? He said, because I love Hussein. I love him. I love the prophet's grandson. And so the sheikh, he said, okay, but in the future, you can show your love. And then he taught him like the, what to say, the dua to, to say to the dead, how we should engage. But he didn't call him kafir. Then he sat with us and he said, you know, this issue of takfir is really problematic. And before you ever accuse someone of these kind of things, you have to have a conversation with them. So we need to be very careful. This verse is not talking about Muslims. This verse is talking about the, the disbelievers of Mecca. That's why Abdullah ibn Umar, he said the quality of the khawarij is to take verses that talk about the disbelievers and apply them to the believers. You have to be careful of this stuff, man. Number one, number two, is murder. The Prophet said, be careful of the seven major sins, the destructive sins. One is shirk, and the other is murder. He mentioned. Whoever falls into this falls into sin. We believe in Islamic theology that sin is defined in three ways. Number one is what is clearly defined as sinful behavior by the Quran and authentic sunnah, like here. Number two, what there is a consensus on that it's sinful. Even if there's no text for it, there is a consensus of the ulama. And number three, Al-Qiyas Al-Jalli, which I don't want to make it hard for you, but it's like a strong analogy. Like, for example, some forms of narcotics that people are using for non-medicated reasons 
or medical reasons that are sanctioned by a legitimate physician with sincerity, this is sinful behavior. Why? Al-Qiyas al-Jalli. وَمَنْ يَفْعَ ذَلِكَ يَلْقَ أَثَامًا يُضَاعَفْ لَهُ الْعَذَابُ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ وَيَخْلُدُ فِيهِ مُهَانًا We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala فِي الْآخِرَةِ أَنْ يُخَافَتْ عَنَّا But look at the next verse. The next verse is now, so those qualities that we just talked about are the things that we want to get rid of. We want to be careful of it for Muslim shirk, alhamdulillah. And there should be no doubt. Imam Ibn Taymiyyah said in the issues of declaring someone non-Muslim or declaring that someone is, is, is a Muslim, is not a Muslim, that it has to be on certainty. Not on doubt, Sheikh Ibn Taymiyyah said that in Majmu'a Fatawa. Also, we don't declare people out of Islam because of issues of fiqh, ishtiharat amongst the great scholars. No, 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 no. It has to be clear. Imam Abu Hanifa said nobody leaves Islam except the way they embrace Islam. Those of us who we embraced Islam, mashallah, we know that when we took our shahada, if it was in front of the community or we were at the mosque, there were people who were hugging us and there was people who were, it was very celebratory, right? The same, the same clarity that someone embraces Islam, Sayyidina Imam Abu Hanifa, rahimahullah, said they leave Islam. So there's no doubt. Imam Malik radiallahu anhu said, if I have one reason to believe someone is still Muslim and 99 reasons to believe they're not Muslim, I go with the one reason that they're still Muslim. Subhanallah. So look now, subhanallah, to stay away from shirk, to stay away from murder, to stay away from fornication. And the next verse is so beautiful because this is the quality of how we maintain our consistency. This quality is so important that Imam Abu Hamid al-Ghazali as well as Imam Ibn Qayyim, rahimahumullahu ta'ala, they mention this as the second most important quality on the path to Allah. And that's repentance. So the verse right after talking about all those horrible crimes, and that's why I said it earlier, the challenge of secular justice movements is that they do not have a door for redemption because many of them have divorced themselves from religion. But in Islam, we believe in redemption for people. People can repent and they can change and they can be better. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if we were to take the nomenclature of the right or left politically, there would be no sahaba. They would all be canceled. They would all be canceled. If we were to take specifically the nomenclature of the left and the right politically in America, there would be no sahaba. The family of the prophet, because of their proximity to the prophet, this renders them incapable of being companions. A'udhu billah. Umar ibn Khattab, he had a past, he's done. Abu Bakr, he's rich, he's done. Bilal, the right would say because of his ethnic status, he's ineligible. If we were to take the political nomenclature of the right or left in America as it is and apply this to the Sahaba, there will be no Sahaba. That's why we say that religious nomenclature is far more mature, responsible, and promising than any secular nomenclature. Because Allah says, Ilaman Taba. Those will go to hell 
and their punish, their punishment will be multiplied. Except those who repent. The door of redemption. And sometimes we make a mistake and we tell people they have to forgive others. No, you don't. Allah forgives who he wants. You may even forgive someone and still Allah punishes them because Allah is just. You may not forgive someone and Allah may forgive them. That's his business. But subhanAllah here, the door of redemption is open to people who committed shirk, to people who murdered, to people who fornicated. If they repent, there's redemption. And that's why we have to be very careful if we talk about sin, that we should talk about forgiveness. And if we talk about hope, we should talk about responsibility and punishment to keep the balance. Why don't people repent? There's a number of reasons. The first is they feel that their sins are greater than Allah's mercy. But this is a subtle form of a weakness in aqidah. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, My mercy submerges everything. Allahumma taghammadana. Allahumma ghammadna bi rahmatik ya rabbal alameen. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala submerge us in his mercy. So many times a person will have had a past or have made mistakes and they will say to themselves, Allah will never forgive me. This is one of the worst things anyone can ever say. That's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, وَمَن لَمْ يَتُوبَ فَأُولَٰئِكَ هُمُ الظَّالِمُونَ Allah says in the, the 12th verse of the 49th chapter of the Quran, I believe it's the 12th verse, that the wrongdoers are those who don't repent. Allahu Akbar. Those who don't repent. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as the Prophet said, At-ta'ibu, the one who sincerely repents, kaman la dhambala, is like the one who has no sin. Subhanallah. And the Prophet وسلم, when he came across that young man in the masjid who was despondent, and he said to him, what's wrong with you? And he said, I have destroyed myself. My sins are so great. And the Prophet وسلم, he said to him, what? Repeat after me. Allahumma malfiratuka awsa' min zunubi. Oh Allah, your forgiveness is greater than my sins. And my hope in you is greater than the fear of my actions. And the Prophet told him to say it three times. And he said it three times. And then the Prophet said, Qum faqad lak. Stand, Allah has forgiven you. The second reason that people fail to repent is arrogance. I did nothing wrong. I'm fine. I'm okay. Negligence. But as we mentioned earlier, those Ibad al-Rahman yaquluna rabbana asrif anna ataba jahannam. Even those righteous people, they were scared of hell. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, even though he has isma, Allah has protected him from sin. Subhanallah. The hadith of Sayyidina Abi Hurairah. That the Prophet said, وَالَّذِي نَفْسِي بِيَدِي By the one who 
controls my life. I seek Allah's forgiveness and turn back to him a hundred times every day. So just mention those two reasons that most people fail to repent. We ask Allah Ta'ala There's one more reason, and that is that maybe people around them have extinguished their hope in Allah. If you're that person who you've heard so much negative messaging or your insecurities have been dilated by messaging that was very harmful, Remember, as Imam Ibn Atta'ala Skandari said, there is no sin more powerful than Allah's mercy. That's why Allah says about the enemies of the Prophet in the Quran, فَإِن تَابُوا وَأَقَامُوا الصَّلَاةَ وَأَتَوُوا الزَّكَاءَ فَإِخْوَانَكُمْ فِي الدِّينَ If those people in Mecca, if they repent and establish prayer and pay zakah, they're your brothers and sisters in Islam. Allahu Akbar. But listen to this. Not only is the value prop except for the one who repents. And here's the second condition. And they do good. If they do that, hasanat. Ya Allah. Not only will he forgive them, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will exchange the evil they did for good. Ya Allah. So not only is the evil obliterated, but also it is recalibrated in their account of good deeds as hasanat. Sometimes you talk to brothers and sisters like myself who embraced Islam, say, you know, for 20 years, I was living foul for 25 years. I was living foul for 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. And then subhanAllah, I, Allah woke me up and I flee to Allah with all my evil and I changed as best I could. Imagine that subhanAllah is changed. Maybe somebody is born Muslim and they feel bad. They feel bad. They feel horrible. I was born Muslim. Sometimes I talk to Arab brothers and sisters. You know, I speak Arabic. How could I be living evil? Sometimes brothers and sisters born in Muslim countries. How, how could I come from a Muslim society and I became a sinner? Or why? you don't trust the society. You don't trust your language. You trust Allah, first of all. So they feel like I can never come back. I'm old now. I spent my youth in, wallahi, alhamdulillah, just come back to Allah. Don't look at Allah through the prism as of your material understanding of evil, but look at your evil through the transcendent lens of Allah's rahmah. That will inspire you. Not only that, yubaddilullahu sayyatihim hasanat. That evil will be turned to good if the person stays upright. And Allah was, is, and will be constantly. Ghafur means to obliterate, to erase. Erasing the sins 
Rahima and merciful to the person. Ya subhanallah. How we see now the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That those ta'ibun from the mu'mineen and those after they repent, they try their best to do good. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will exchange that evil for good. Ya Allah. That's why he's Halim. Halim is the one that has the right to punish, but he doesn't. And then to amplify this even more, the 71st verse, Allah says, Waman, and man means whoever. Waman taba, whoever turns back to Allah. Wa'amir al-Sadiha and does righteous deeds. Because maybe somebody asked, how do I know I really repented? We talked about this last night. How do I know my how do I know my toba is right? Is that number one, I do it, and number two, after I do good. So the, the verse after the one I just read continues to build and amplify what does real repentance mean? Woman taba wa amira sariha Yatubu ilallahi mataba. A Allahu Akbar. That whoever turns to Allah, turns away from evil, and does good, then indeed Allahu Akbar, that person has truly repented. Naam. Meaning, man taba wa amin al-sariha fa inna tawbatahu. أو توبتها هي التوبة الكاملة الخالصة لله على حد قول النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم Let me translate what I just said. That what's understood in the verse is whoever repents and does good from the believers, then that person, his or her toba, his or her toba is a complete, sincere tawbah to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's called a tawqeed, yani a tawqeed fil ibarah, that the way it's structured in Arabic is to show like, don't worry, don't worry, just do it. Just come back, come home. Don't stay out in the streets of Jahiliyyah, come back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala continues to mention those, those, Qualities that we should avoid. And what are those qualities? I'm sorry, I'm having a little technical issue here. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions those qualities that we should avoid. After talking about tawbah and repentance and coming back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, وَالَّذِينَ لَا يَشْهَدُونَ الزُّورِ Those who do not witness falsehood. Corruption. وَإِذَا مَرُّوا بِاللَّهُوِ مَرُّوا كِرَامًا So two more things we want to get rid of. So now we reach five. Shirk. Murder. Fornication, false witness, and engaging in 
was called Allah. Allah. And Allah is any type of speech which would defile the sacred. Any type of speech that would open up or show value to things that are forbidden. We should avoid those things. Whether we're listening to it or saying it. Whether we see it or hear it. وَالَّذِينَ إِذَا ذُكِّرُوا بِآيَاتِ رَبِّهِمْ لَمْ يَخِرُوا عَلَيْهَا صُمَّ وَعُمْيَانَ And now we reach the sixth quality. A respect for dhikr and an honor of the sacred. Those who win the signs of their creator are mentioned. They don't turn away from it as though they're deaf and blind. They pay attention. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran very clearly mentions that the believers are those إِذَا ذُكِرَ اللَّهُ وَجَلَتْ قُلُوبُهُمْ When Allah is mentioned, their hearts come to life. They're moved. An appreciation for the sacred. Not, not taking religion as a joke. Not devaluing what's holy. Being like the malaika. We say to Allah, we praise you, we glorify you, we honor you, and we recognize your, your sanctity, your, 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 your holiness. And now we get to the last part, and I'm, I'm sorry I'm having to go quick because I want to make sure that we finish uh, our time together, which I've really enjoyed, alhamdulillah, the last six hours. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, rabbana, Those who say our sustainer, our creator. And now we're talking about the third, uh, the fourth quality, sorry, thinking about building capacity for the future. So let me review the first three. Number one, we talked about the very beginning, verses 61 to like 64. We find the qualities of things that we want to acquire. Almost up to verse 66. Then 67 to 69, things we want to avoid. Right? Shirk, murder, fornication. Then two more. False witness. Yeah. Um, and engaging in evil speech. Backbiting, slandering, namima but also more importantly, things that are going to disregard the sacredness of Islam making, we should be very careful the etiquettes of people on social media to make a joke of the deen. It's not good, man. Wallahi, it's not good. It's not good. And then the last that there, they are avoid, you know, to be attentive to avoid negligence in creating consistency. That's the third quality. We talked about Toba repentance coming back to Allah and encouraging people. Why is it so easy for people to destroy the person? This is an era 
because in, in American psychology, and you think about the murders, murders of innocent black people in this country at the hands of law enforcement and others, because America has posited itself as having the ultimate power to hurt, whether it's nuclear weapons, whether it's military engagement, whether it's at home with a, 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 a weaponized law enforcement, right? So back to the cowboy culture, the apex creature, America wants to be the apex creature. So we, we tend to think in the lens of where we exist, the ecosystem that we live is very power driven. So people enjoy either micro or macro moments of ex exhibiting their power. And that's why sometimes I find people love to destroy their fellow Muslim. It comes out of this vein of power and destruction. But Allah subhanahu wa says, Lima that Islam resuscitates you. It doesn't cause death, it causes life. It doesn't cause destruction, it causes growth. Maybe destruction of evil, but it's replaced with good. That's why Ahmed Shawki, the great poet, he said about Sayyidina Muhammad, He said in this poem that your brother Jesus, he called the dead to come to life by the will of Allah. But you, O Muhammad, you have brought generations of people back to life. So easy to destroy. But to build and love people, to value them, to care about them, to help them as they go through challenges, that's the way of the prophets, the faithful. The Prophet he made dua for Abu Jahl, man. Ya Allah, Abu Jahl, Allahumma azil Islam bi Umarin. And Umar ibn Khattab, he made dua for them. If we curse people and we don't make dua for them, we're not prophetic. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala now at the end, he mentions the quality of what? Those who want to build their capacity. They want to increase their ability to do good. And it's through dua. وَالَّذِينَ يَقُولُونَ رَبَّنَا هَبَلَنَا مِنْ أَزْوَاجِنَا وَذُرِّيَّاتِنَا قُرَّةَ أَعْيُنْ وَجَعَلْنَا لِلْمُتَّقِينَ إِمَامًا Those who say our Lord, Hab. Hab is to give a gift. Gift us. And lana, in Arabic, this is called lam, lam al-fa'idah, gift for our benefit. Our benefit means what's going to help us in the hereafter. Al-maslaha al-ukhrawiya wa dunyawiya. Give us what's good for us here and in the next life. Rabbana atina fid dunya hasana wa fil akhirati hasana wa qina adhabana. Min azwajina, from our spouses. Wa zurriyatina, and our progeny, not just now, but in the future. Qurrata a'yun, of course, is a metaphor for the, that's going to be, when we see it, it makes us happy. When we see it, we say like, perhaps the closest thing in, in American English would be like, it brings a sparkle to your eye. Waja'alna and make us lil muttaqina imama. Make us, all of us as an ummah, pay attention to this based on what I talked about last night, and make all of us 
for the people of taqwa, one imam, not imams. This is called iltifat in balagha, where the tense changes to teach something. Why would we say make all of us one imam? To show the importance of unity. It doesn't say wajalna lil muttaqina imatan. Make us all imams. Here doesn't mean the imam of salah. Here it means leaders. But the translation is leader. Make for us, make us for the righteous a leader. And here we can see the permissibility of seeking leadership. Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhu, every morning he would wake up, he would say, imama. Oh Allah, make me a leader for the righteous people. This, this discourse in the Muslim community, we don't want leaders. We don't want leaders. So what happens is we lose our best and brightest and most talented and most sincere, they become leaders for others. And then we have no leaders. Like imama. I want to be a leader, but I want to be the right kind of leader. And I don't want to be an individual. I want to be together as though we are like one imam, not a imma. Here you see the beauty of the Quran. And that doesn't mean that we are going to be uniform. No, we have unity, but without uniformity. We understand we all have different roles to play. We all have different parts in this broader ummah to contribute. And we bring that to a collective good. The problem is not Muslim disunity. The problem is Muslim unity. We don't have unity. We have disunity. It's everywhere. Just open up Instagram or TikTok or Facebook. You see Muslims fighting all the time over things they shouldn't even be fighting over, subhanAllah. Things that classical scholars didn't argue over, didn't engage in. And here we get to the predicate of the subject. And this is very interesting. And I'm going to try to explain this as we finish. Rahman, The servants of the most merciful. From that point, to this point, we still don't have the predicate of the sentence. Why? It's, it's so long. Subhanallah, almost 14 or 15 verses. Because in Arabic, it's called tashwiq al-sami' in rhetoric. You delay the predicate to gain the attention of the listener. They're like, I want it, I want it. I want it. You could say, That's the jumla kamila. That's the complete sentence. But here was called the delaying of the, the khabar, the delaying of the predicate to create a sense of <gasps> what's next. Here we learn a lesson in da'wah. We should be creative and we, we should appreciate aesthetics in our da'wah and our style. And we should contribute to those du'at and those who are working. They need volunteers and help in order to do a good job. Subhanallah. Subhanallah. They are those who will be rewarded al-ghurfa. Here the ghurfa means a place in Jannah. 
Why? Bima sabaru. Because they were resilient. Resilience in theological nomenclature is divided into three types. Number one is resilience on obedience to Allah. Number two is resilience away from the haram. Number three is a Sheikh Zakaria Ansari mentioned is the most difficult. He said, and thank you, Faye, for the notes. He says, the most difficult type of patience is with trauma and success, the tides of life. So three types of resilience, three types of sabr in Islam. Resilience on obedience, resilience away from the forbidden, and resilience with the tides of life. And not only will they experience a home in Jannah, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the ghurfa in Jannah. Ya Rabbi, ghurfa in Jannah, a small apartment in Jannah is a penthouse, wallahi. That they will be greeted with salam. And this is called hal in Arabic. They will always be there. Hasanat wa muqama. Hasanat, afan, wa muqama. The best place for rest, for waqar, and the best abode. Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen, we completed now uh, these last few verses of Surah Al-Furqan. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, yarzuqna bil-Furqan. Ask Allah to give us Furqan in our hearts. And I just want to remind everyone who was involved in this from the beginning, the importance of using your time to study what's good for you. Don't get caught up in all these Muslim debates the infighting between activists and Muslims and scholars. You don't have time for that. Focus on the Quran. Focus on the teachings of the Prophet that bring you a sense of inspiration and value. If we were as busy with the Quran as we were this infighting, the world will be a different place. SubhanAllah. So if there's any questions or comments, we can take them now. MashaAllah, we have so many people here. Uh, which ayah was the mubtada of the delayed khabar? Yeah, the first, Ibadur Rahman, I believe is ayah 63. Ayah 63. Uh, let me check also for you to make sure. As well. So the, the Mubtada is Ibadur Rahman. Those merciful slaves of the slaves of the merciful. Verse 63. And the khabar, you're going to find it, is verse 75. So verse 63, we find the Mubtada. Verse, mashallah, 75 is the khabar. Because as Salatul Mosul, We'll talk about in the future. And everything else is ma'atuf. Everything else is, is a conjunction. I remember years ago, I was traveling with my teacher when I was memorizing the Quran. I used to travel with him because the West African system, they have what's called mulazama, where you live with the sheikh. So I lived with my teacher for almost three years. And I remember we went to Kuwait 
And we got there. May Allah bless the people of Kuwait, inshallah, with khair. And when we got there, it was Fajr time. So we checked into the hotel. We went to the local masjid. And the sheikh, he read Surah Al-Furqan. And he read this. And then he kept reading. But in the second rakah, he stopped before Ula'ika Yujazawna. He stopped before the khabr. Then my teacher, he disappeared after salah. I was freaking out, like, yo, where's the sheikh? So I went back to the hotel. And then he came, like, later in the day. I said, what happened? He said, I went to the, I went to the sheikh of the masjid and I told him, you read the mubtada without the khabar. And the sheikh was so happy. He invited me to his home and we had breakfast and we spent this morning together. So this is also why I always remember this. SubhanAllah. Here's a great question. What can one do when one has people in our family who are born Muslim and have turned away from Islam? They are deaf and blind. What can I do? First of all, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless your family and all of our families who are struggling with Iman. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to, you know, many of us, our hearts are broken. Me, I have family, they're not even Muslim, <laughs> let alone Muslims. So we all have this kind of joint pain in certain ways. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and yahdi ha'ula. Ask Allah to guide them, inshallah. The second thing is oftentimes with Muslims, my experience is that their problems with faith are usually existential issues related to parenting, related to maybe having uh, bad religious leaders, having bad experiences with Muslims. And that tends to naturally impact their faith in Islam. That's very normal. So we need to treat those existential issues first. We need to find out what is the cause of this issue and then treat the issue. Because even the disbelievers of Mecca, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, before he commanded them to believe, he made them secure. They were secure first. Then he told them to believe. So if people are having emotional challenges, existential crises that have unnerved them, we need to serve that. The second is sometimes people have doubts. They have questions that they want to ask. So we need to listen to those questions and we need to answer them in a way that shows that we've affirmed that we've heard them. We don't have to agree with them, but then also we provide answers for them. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it easy for you, inshallah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala yassalak, inshallah. Is fasting the best gift we can give to God? No, because God doesn't need gifts, but it's really beautiful how you phrased it. Mashallah, so nice how you phrased it. But actually, it's a gift to yourself. Because the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, and again, you said it so nicely, so I'm not, not trying to put you on blast. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he said that fasting will plead for you in the day of judgment. Can you imagine fasting will talk? And fasting will say that this person, oh Allah, don't punish her. Don't punish him. They left food and drink for you. Sincerely for you. And that will be a means. So your fasting will be like your lawyer. Pro bono. 
Same with the Quran. The Quran will say, he, he didn't sleep at night. He read me. She didn't sleep at night. She prayed with me. Subhanallah. This hadith is sahih. So alhamdulillah, these things are for us. Man amila salihan who does good is for themselves. Mashallah, mashallah. Any other questions? I think the recording will be available at the ICNYU's um, YouTube page. Oh, people getting involved with the Bronx. I have nothing to say about the Bronx. I live in Harlem, so, and I used to live in Brooklyn, so I'm not going, and I'm from Oklahoma. I'm not going to get involved in that problem. Can I ask, how do we deal with parents that are emotionally and psychologically abusive? I think it's very important for, first of all, no one should be patient with physical or psychological abuse, right? And let, if you're a minor, you need to reach out to someone to get some help that you can get yourself out of the situation if possible. That's where Muslim communities have to be doing more to help in this situation. If you're someone's spouse, staying and being abused is not an act of worship. Get out of that situation and make sure you do what you do to protect yourself and your children or your family. And, and if people are not willing to change, if people are not willing to, to change, then you have to stay away from them, man. What's the name of the podcast? You can go to Swisscast, Swisscast on Apple Podcasts. Everyone leave a review, man. Help me out, folks. Go to the iOS store, uh, podcast, sorry. Look up Swisscast with Suhaib Web. And mashallah, leave reviews, man. Help us out. Help us grow. Alhamdulillah. That's very important. Those little things you do, you don't understand how that helps us. Alhamdulillah. Any other questions, inshallah? It's on Android, too. And my app also is on Android to my school. If you want to take classes at our school, you can, you'll can you find it also on, on uh, Android. I'm going to start teaching Maliki Fiqh next week live at my school on Wednesdays. Wednesdays at 9 p.m. Eastern, New York City time. Uptown, uptown, not the Bronx or Brooklyn. Sorry, I just had to say it. Alhamdulillah. Uh, <laughs> about to get in trouble. Yeah, you don't need to waste your time. You don't have to argue. You don't have to respond to everybody. You know, someone asking someone about, you said, wouldn't it be and this and this? Man, just keep going, man. You got bigger things to worry about in life, man. I think this is going to be made available on the ICNYU YouTube page, which is available to everybody. I'm not, so the best way to get in touch with someone with the Khula is right now, I'm, I'm back logged with with these kind of things for about the next eight months so you would need to um maybe contact someone in your local area the name of the app from my school is swiss.ed swiss.ed yeah you can download the app there too but Faye, we're going to give you a free subscription remember so if you go to swiss.ed you'll find it there again leave some reviews man those things help us out mashallah are we preparing for ramadan is allowed to follow programs from different orgs of course. Why, why would it not be allowed to follow programs from different organizations? That's the important thing. None of these organizations own the haq. None of us own the haq. We are just a drop of the ocean of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa Every single one of us is just a small drop 
in the Bahar of Sayyidina Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. If any of us think that we all have the haq, that's, that's a problem. Man. So yeah, of course, Yaqeen and Zaytuna and other places, you know, you're going to find a, a, a Qalam Institute, right? Avoid people who tell, you can only take from one person or one entity or one. Why? Walillahi al-mashiq wal-maghrib. Subhanallah. Is Swiss available? Yeah, you can get it on a website too if you want to get in, involved in my school. Subscription to my school is at swahibweb.com. It's $9.99 for your entire family. We're doing some really, really important things. So the support of the community is extremely important in that regards. We have some really good live programs starting soon in the next few weeks. And then in the summer, we have big announcement, inshallah. Big announcement, inshallah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it easy for us, inshallah. 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 Any other questions before we let people go? We have like seven minutes. Any comments or thoughts um, that anyone has that was in the class? And we're happy to take them. Sheikh Yusra Barakallahu Fiki. Yeah, it's a tough mentality, and we have to we have to deal with that. Uh, again, so people watching on Instagram, we ask Allah Subhanahu to bless you. I'm sure my dua is not the best. There's other people who can, uh, uh, their dua is more accepted than mine. So we ask Allah Subhanahu to bless all of us and to forgive us and to give us hidayah on Allah's obedience. We ask Allah to bless all of our children and expectant mothers. I'm my wife is expecting a baby, so. As I said earlier, make dua, inshallah, will be easy. Uh, Suhaib uh, 4.0, about to drop, you know what I mean? So we ask Allah to bless all of our expectant mothers, alhamdulillah, and all of our new mothers and fathers, as well as a number of the people I know were impacted by COVID-19. Some of them are even here. May Allah SWT give them complete shifa and make every suffering they had with COVID a means of maghfirah. And we ask Allah to increase us in khair and to accept us and to protect us from the differences um, and falling into to, 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 to fighting and destroying an already really weakened ummah. Ameen, Ya Rabbul Alameen. Yeah, so the person, do you want me to privately write? Yeah, I think, I think sending me some of those questions and then allowing that to become sort of the basis for hopefully a course that we can reach out to yourself. Maybe if you know some good people who can present and address these issues, I think it's very, very important. Um, and I'm happy to try to help facilitate uh, that for you. Jazakamallahu khairan, mashallah. It's really quick. I didn't realize it was going to go this fast. So forgive me for rushing at the end. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala zidna wa iyaakum, inshallah, and leave loved and valued, inshallah, and abahibukum fillah. And we ask Allah SWT to grant us tawbah and nasuha wa ta'ah al-mustamirah. Barakallahu feekum wa sallallahu wa sallam ala Sayyidina Muhammad. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.